Baker. She, her, an education lecturer and children's fantasy literature researcher at University of East London. You're listening to Fantasy Book Swap, where a guest and I swap children's fantasy fiction, one classic and one contemporary, and we discuss them. Today, I'm joined by Alistair Sims, bookseller and publisher. Hello, what have you been up to recently? Hi, um, I've, I've been working in the shop, um, sorting out our Kickstarter for dyslexic-friendly books, even some academic writing, um, getting ready for our book we're going to be doing with hopefully Bloomsbury soon um, on um, Celtic mythology. So yes, exciting. You're, you're a man of many hats. That's that's super awesome. Yeah. So your your um, your Kickstarter for um, dyslexia-friendly books. These are books for dyslexic adults, right? So there haven't been any dyslexic funny books for adults at all. Um, in our Kickstarter last year, we did the first eight um, that are available. And at the moment, we're the only easily available dyslexic friendly fiction for adults in the whole of the UK. Which, which does seem bizarre, doesn't it? Because it's not like people grow out of being dyslexic once they reach 16, is it? No, no. When you're, when you're dyslexic, you, it's for life. Uh, you have good days, you have bad days. Um, that's something that people need to realise. Mm. So, so what makes these books dyslexia friendly? So what makes these books friendly is that they're spaced differently. The formatting is what where we're going. We're not changing the stories. The stories have to be top-notch and enjoyable for both dyslexic and non-dyslexic. Mm. What we've done is changed the word, not the words, I've changed the formatting so the, the bigger spaces between paragraphs and sentences. Mm. The paper is thicker, it's cream. Mm. Um, there's also a ragged edge. So instead of being justified, the ragged edge means all the spaces are equal. Right, that, and that's so helpful. And have you chosen a particular font? Fonts are my bugbears. Yes, we chose a specific font. We didn't go for a dyslexic but specific font because that will isolate certain people. We yeah. went for a font that could be enjoyed by everybody. And it, it could, I could always mispronounce it. It shows my own dyslexia. Vedanda, mm-hmm. I think it's called. Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. Yes. And that is, a, that's a really lovely, crisp, clear, non-serif font. Yeah, my, um, my preferred font is Calibri, which is luckily the, the um, Microsoft generic font at the moment but yes it's a very similar thing the letters are quite distinctly shaped and yeah they're not and actually the 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 space between the letters is also very pleasing to the the dyspraxic or dyslexic person's eye that's brilliant thank you so much so in a change to our normal schedule you have your first book the book that you first remember reading with pleasure is Sharp's Eagle by Bernard Cornwall. So what's your first memory of reading it? It's very difficult. Um, a lot of my memories are jumbled at that time, mainly because I didn't read very much, so I didn't remember very much. Um, and I, ha- I just have a memory of enjoying it immensely and then continuing to read it. Um, I, I must have read it, enjoyed it so much because my grandma then made me a jacket, Sharp's jacket. That's so to wear. cool. Um, and then obviously I watched the TV programs afterwards as well, and I enjoyed it. I think I, I think I, as a kid, I saw a TV program, and went, ooh, what's this? Didn't know what it was. Mm. Um, then it got turned off. 
<laughs> and then I read the books. And then I found out that TV program, which I saw that clip of, was actually sharp. And then I watched it. Yeah. So, um, and, um, so can you summarise the plot for us? So, yes, essentially, but the plot of the story is mm-hmm. you have um, Sharp, who is a very junior officer, so a lieutenant. Um, and he is um, very old at being a lieutenant, so most people think he's not very good. Mm-hmm. The difference is he goes from the ranks. Um, and this story, he's... Um, just been injured he's just waiting to do some stuff and he's been put into um one of the majors of artillery engineer to help him blow up a bridge um unfortunately they have to bring along a battalion of um red coats so he's in mm. rifle green uh to do this for political reasons because the spanish have to have a battalion the english have a battalion mm. and um unfortunately the battalion is the south essex which is a new, almost militia-like um, mm. battalion um, raised by Sir Henry Simerson, who was a complete, utter, many rude words. He's not yes. very nice. In fact, um, he's one of Sharp's favourite rude words, isn't he? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and a bully and, uh, and, and an all-round nasty person. Yeah. Yes, and essentially, the, uh, he gets, the bridge gets blown, the colours get taken, he's on the other side and has to try and um, redeem something. He gets the cannon... Um, which was going against him and promises um, a soldier who he knew when he was in a sergeant in India um, to get a, a French eagle. He then, mm-hmm. then in the Battle of Talavera, ends up getting a French eagle and becoming famous and secures his captaincy. Yes. And um, as a kind of benevolent person above him is actually uh, Arthur Wesley, the Wellesley, the, uh, who becomes... Um, Duke of Wellington, um, who recognises Sharp, Sharp's qualities, but also realises that, you know, he can only become a higher ranking officer if, if he remains in active duty, doesn't he? So in, in some it's ways... Very, it's very interesting with the relationship yeah. um, with us Wesley in this. There's, there's both a coldness and distaste of a soldier coming from the ranks, at the same time of a maration of um, Sharp himself. Um, yeah. So it's a quite interesting relationship. It's <clears throat> not necessarily friendly, mm. respectful, but also what comes out of it, which is actually true, is Arthur Wesley in real life did have a distaste for officers coming from the ranks because he thought they went to a drink. So there's yes. an interesting uh, historical parallel coming through in that character. Yeah, that, and that's... Um... One of the things that we, the reason why that Sharp is rising through the ranks is that anybody who reads Jane Austen uh, and uh, anyone who reads um, also, in particular, Georgia Hare, knows that uh, ranking officers bought their, um, bought their role, didn't they? They had to buy their way into the regiment. They also it, had to, um, you know, provide certain things, um, and uh, so like that the officers were kind of expected to come from family money, gentry, uh, and not be professional soldiers. They had to have money. Yeah, they had to have money for the mess. They had to have money for everything that they uh, did. Um, it was essentially. Um, 
the term which um, we're going to practice a bit, but he used Rupert is exactly the right thing. They yes. were generally of people means. And strangely enough, the common soldiers actually preferred it. They actually didn't like Nessie officers coming from the ground up because they thought that an officer would be special. And yes. so a special officer would protect them. It was it's a weird idea of it and how people thought psychology. But no, it's, it's very much um, very like less than 1% of um, the officers were from the ranks. It was very different from the French army. Well, a lot yes. more came from the ranks. And more, it, 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 I can't say the word. Egalitarian. Yeah. Egalitarian. No, yes. Much more egalitarian in the French army than it was in the British army. And that, that I think, really comes out in the TV series. Um, when you watch the TV series, because we've got, you know, there's, there's Hogan, who's Irish, uh, who is the artillery um, major. And, and he is his attitude to Sharp is much more respectful and he recognises his worth. And I don't know whether this is supposed to be a commentary on um, the artillery because they were a less ancient um, uh, brigade. I don't know anything about military history, really. The artillery officers had to take the exam. They were much more educated. Right. They would. They they rose not by buying in the commission, but seniority. A bit like with the navy, where seniority came in, and he had to take an exam. Same with artillery. So that that's one of the difference from the normal army of artillery. That makes um, sense. Yeah. And the interesting thing with Hogan in in the books is he, he's not necessarily liking Sharp. He's thinking, how can I use him? Um, yeah. In many ways, he gets him in a lot of trouble and in dangerous situations, which works for him very well, but doesn't necessarily always work for Sharp that well. Yes, exactly. But there's, there were also, <clears throat> I think one of the things that's, that's particularly interesting to me is the makeup of, of the soldiers of the British Army and the lower ranking officers, because within the book, you've got... Uh, you've got Scottish soldiers, you've got Irish soldiers who actually are not really, you know, they're, they're not there for patriotism. They're not, they're not there because they're defending king and country. It, it's basically, it's a job. Um, and they're starving. Essentially. And they're starving. And this is a way of, of uh, hopefully, not always, but hopefully getting fed. But there's also um, an American officer who was... Um, during the um, American Revolution was, was on the side of, of the British. And so that, that's really, really fascinating. I hadn't, I hadn't heard of that before. So I, it's a yeah, much... that was good. That was interesting. Yeah. It was very interesting to see. Sorry. It was very interesting to see that in the novels. Um, and you, you do have actually in Americans coming in other novels as well of his. Um, and it is a thing that they did go over to fight um, back in um, the crown for the Peninsula War and other things. Um, and I, I, I do, he was one of the actually decent officers actually in the story. Yes. Who, um, in, it's strange enough, in the, in the film, it's different, or TV film, it's different from the book. In the book, it is actually Colonel Lawford, who um, he knew um, from India, who takes over the command mm. in the film, TV programme. It is actually the American officer who takes over um, uh, for the um, the battle, which is is is, is interesting. How, why did they choose the American officer and not the British officer mm. for the TV and the thing? But yeah, it worked. Yeah, 
And um, one of the things that struck me about that American officer, whose name I've com completely forgotten, was one of the reasons that he's really against um, Shillingsworth is that uh, he is very anti-flogging, um, very anti-flogging soldiers because it reminds him of um, the the um, the slaves in the colonies. Yes, yeah, and so the way he phrases it is white men shouldn't be flogged, which is kind of like, Woo! you know, now to our ears nowadays, but it's probably very in keeping with the attitudes of the time. Of the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, these are, these books are, are relatively old now. So what, um, what impact do you think the TV show had on uh, the progression of, of the, the novels, because they were, it was filmed while the novels were still being written, wasn't it? Oh, it was interesting, is because I, I just had an interview with Bernard Cornwall as well. Oh, how cool. Yeah. So yeah. I, um, I have some tidbits I can say. Um, essentially, um, he did sharp. He, he, he wasn't going to go back to it, but he realised there's going to be a TV programme. He did some more. Yeah. <laughs> the TV programme actually made, was have more sharp books than we were originally going to have. Yes. Um, which is really fun. Um, and also, um, Sean Bean um, is the voice that Bernard Cornwall hears when he writes Sharp Now. Oh, how fascinating. Which is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Yeah, because in the, in the original book, he grew up in London, didn't he? I know he had, Cornwall had to go and retcon some stuff to explain why he ends up with a Yorkshire <laughs> accent. But yeah, and, and he is... Um, he's not just working class, but he's actually um, underclass, isn't he? He was uh, uh, um, born out uh, illegitimately. He's, uh, his mother was a prostitute who was murdered, all kinds of things that explain really why he is sort of like the, you know, in, uh, in the army terms, he's one of the lowest of the low. Oh, he's a criminal. Yes. Essentially. And many, joined, many criminals. Yeah, he joined the army to, to escape um, getting punished for, for crimes, didn't he? So, yeah. He's going to get hanged. Um, yes. And instead of that, he went um, into the army, which many, many people did. Mm -hmm. um, Wellington, as, as, as quoted, is the dregs of society with his yes. army. And yeah. look how fine fellows he made of them. Yes. So it is, is interesting that... Um, and, and that's something that the French sneered at because the French army were conscripts generally. Yeah. And they, they, they sneered at the, the, the British Army because of the dregs of society. Um, but they, they still lost. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, there was some, obviously some people who, who took to it very well. But also, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of elements within the book where they're, they're talking about people stealing, um, stealing food in particular, which seems, you know, completely reasonable to me you know if you're starving you're gonna have to feed yourself somehow but that that also was that was an offense wasn't it in the army so oh wellington was big on it um to be honest wellington um had a lot of marshals and provosts to, to hang anyone who stole or did anything he didn't want because he had to keep his army under control because yeah. he had the local population helping him yes the french army on the french army on the other hand just fed off the off the um on, on the ground they just fed off the place they were 
and they were hit hard by what was called the Little War, which is the Partisans. And yes. essentially, um, in many ways, the Partisans defeated um, the French army by just bleeding them, bleeding them over years and years. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll come back to the, the Partisans in the, when we, we're talking about the next book. So the, the next book is um, Monstrous Regiment by, by Terry Pratchett. Now, this podcast is normally a children's fantasy podcast, but I think I, I certainly started reading Pratchett myself in my mid-teens. I mean, I'm, I'm quite old, so that's when Pratchett actually started publishing, was in my mid-teens. And um, although I didn't always get what he was lampooning um, at the time, they're, they're, they're really good, fun books to read. And um, they're, 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 uh, sort of the, the later books in particular are kind of hard-hitting enough to sort of really make you feel like you're reading something of, of substance, um, I think. So, um, oh my gosh, I've forgotten my book. Oh, yes, I'm speeding my cat. <laughs> yeah, this is because I'm not, uh, not in the room where I normally record. Okay, so this is the, the Monstrous Regiment. I'll read the blurb. The 31st Discworld novel. Trousers, that's the secret. Put on trousers and the world changes. We walk different, we act different. I see these girls and I think, idiots, get yourselves some trousers. Women belong in the kitchen. Everyone knows that. Not in jobs, pubs, or indeed trousers, and certainly not on the front line. Polly Perks has to become a boy in a hurry if she wants to find her brother in the army. Cutting off her hair and wearing trousers is easy. Learning to fart and belch in public and walk like an ape takes more time. And there's a war on. There's always a war on. Polly and her fellow royal recruits are suddenly in the thick of it. All they have on their side is the most artful sergeant in the army and a vampire with a lust for coffee. Well, they have the secret. And it's time to make a stand. So when did you first read Monstrous Regiment, do you think? When I was much older, strange enough. Um, it got a bit of time before I got there. Um, the, the, one of the reasons also I read the Sharp books is because my grandfather had them as well. Mm. So it, it was an easy go into from when I was younger. Um, but no one in my family read fantasy. Mm. <laughs> and read really um, 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 Terry Pratchett. So it, it took me it probably until I was A-levels sort of time mm. to read it. Um, um, and I also, also, I'm much younger, so it came out um, when I was older anyway, this one. Um, yeah, it was, it was published in 2003. So it's not one of the really, really old, you know, not the ones that I read in the 1980s. Definitely. So I was reading it at around A-level time, to be mm. honest. Um, I went to university in 2005, so yeah, A-level time. Mm. Um, and I, I enjoyed it, and it was fun because it was a parody, to my mind, of all the sharp books mm. uh, that I have read. Um, and ha and it, it, it doesn't just impact on the one I was talking about now, with Sharp Eagle. It also, um, with all of them, and it's amalgamated little bits from different parts, mm. uh, which I thought was f funny. Um, and as we know, we've got some songs in there, and they've parodied, and it's basically the same sort of songs that happen sharp, yes. uh, which I thought was really fun. 
um, and utilizing them. Um, um, he obviously uh, read Sharp or read those books mm. as he was doing the books because you can see the influences on there. Um, and as we're talking, I'll probably talk about villains some point. Yes. Um, not Simerson in this, in the Sharp's Eagle, but the villain called Hakeswill. Obadiah Hakeswill, one of the nastiest villains you ever see. Mm. Actually, it's one of Bernard Cornwall's most favourite villains he's ever written. Um, essentially, he's very comparable to the, the political, the um, yes. corporal, I can't remember his name, corporal... No, it's gone. I can't, yeah. can't remember the name, but essentially, um, the corporal in this, with the sergeant, um, is essentially going through people's belongings. He's doing yes. different things. He's not very nice. He's hitting them. He's treating them badly. Hakesville steals people's possessions so he could do things to them. Yes. In, in novels. He basically um, puts them in charges so they have to do what he wants them to do. And it's exactly the same sort of uh, actions and exactly the same sort of mindset. And I, I can see those two villains seen mirror images of each other um, from the novels. And it's really interesting. Corporal Strappy. <laughs> Is that That's the one? It. Yeah. Yeah, Corporal Strappy. Yeah. That is exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah, and he disappears, doesn't he? Halfway he through. becomes a captain. He does, doesn't he? He becomes a political captain because he thinks he's got away and other things of that yeah. nature. Yeah. So, yes, I, I think that um, one of the things that Pratchett's very good at is, is lampooning things. Obviously, he lampoons things, but he also... He doesn't do it in a, he does it with substance. It's not like, ha, 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 look at this thing, isn't it stupid? It's actually, you know, with, with a certain amount of respect and a certain amount of affection too. Um, how do you feel this? I mean, I, if it wasn't for the fact that Vimes is in this book, I would say it's not really part of Discworld. It's, it's quite, it's quite Yeah, I know what you mean. It is essentially, it is, it's essentially a, a different area than Ankhamore Park and other places. Um, similarly, in the sen that sense, to the um, Rincewind stuff, where he's going off different places. Um, and the only connection we have with Ankhamore Park is Rincewind and the Wizards and that aspect. Mm. Um, in this, it is Vimes is the connection because of the clacks and, and the word as well, with regards to the yes, um, yes, newspaper. And it's essentially um, um, a massive city looking at this war happening, going, "Ooh, this is interesting," yeah. um, and and it becomes a news story in Ankhamore Park. And I think that's how it, it's it's showing how we regard wars further afield in many ways, like we do now with um, fighting Ukraine, fighting in other places and countries, and how the media latches onto it and takes stories, and and so he's, he's looking at that in many ways as well. Yeah, the, the bit where um, where DeWorge tries to kind of interview the um, interview that Polly and her friends and they kind of basically have to go and create a diversion to get away from him. Yeah, because, you know, him interviewing them is possibly going to put them in, in danger of some kind. So the, the secret that is mentioned on the back, and I, I don't like to uh, do this as a spoiler, but, you know, if you haven't read Monstrous Regiment, I'm not sure why you'd be listening to this podcast, but okay. Um, there is, the secret that is referred to is that basically it's not just one or two of the, it's not just Polly 
who has cut her hair, called herself Oliver, and and gone to find her brother, who's uh, who's at war. Um, but essentially, everybody in the everybody in her regiment is a woman, including the sergeant. And as it turns out, at the very end, so are some of the generals are also women. And I I find that brilliant because actually there are many, many examples of women who did fight in the Napoleonic Wars. Um, You know, in in Brighton, uh, there's a a church which is just down the hill from from where I am now uh, called St Nicholas Church, and it's the parish church of Brighton. And in that churchyard, there is the grave of a woman called Phoebe Hessel, who uh, with her joined up with her boyfriend to go to war because they didn't want to be separated. So she disguised herself as a woman and and went off to war. And uh, it was quite a long time before before they were discovered, actually. Um, you know, there's a there was a Dutch woman who um, fought, fought as well called Francina Brewers of Gunning. There was in navies. There's William Brown, uh, who was a black woman, who we don't actually know what her name was, and Louise Antonini in the Italian in the Italian navy as well. All around this this same time. So it's it's not. Um, it's not uncommon. And as we see in Sharp, there were women who had other roles, didn't we? So we had the camp followers. So essentially the, the uh, rank and files, um, girlfriends, wives, prostitutes, cooks, other people who worked. Um, but as we see with um, the partisans, the, uh, the kind of one of Hogan's most important spies is a woman. Isn't she? Is she called Teresa? Teresa, yeah. She's Rose. also um, the, one of the first wives that Sharp has. Yes. Um, and and she, she's called the Needle. Um, and we wonder what that is. I'm not sure yes. we need to wonder, really. Um, but yes, women in... The interesting thing with Sharp is women are very much part of the stories in different ways. Mm. Um, some in a more um, damsel way, some in a more non-damsel, like the partic- um, like Teresa. Um, it's interesting how women are perceived. Where you have um, take Sharp Eagle, Josephina in there, who's a camp follower, who's a yeah. Christian, who's the nephew of Simerson. Um and essentially she gets um, attacked. She gets um, raped by. Um, Henry's nephew and friend Gibbon, yeah. and essentially Sharp is furious. It, 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 he's quite a womanizer, but you don't hurt a woman, and yes. it's very much that sort of. And, he's in, 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 and I think it's commented: you're you're more gentleman than the gentleman. Yes. Um, that we had to make you officer for that very reason. Yeah. That sort of element, um, and that is, is, is fascinating how that comes through the character very much. He, he's a rogue, is Sharp. Um, he's not necessarily the nicest person in the world. But if you're a woman, he's not going to hurt you necessarily. Yeah, he's going yeah, to protect he's, you as much as possible. Yes, it's, he's still trying to bed you, yes. but you do it honorably and nicely. Exactly. Right, it's nearly half past, so I know you've got to go. So I'll do the end bit. Um, but thank you. That was really nice of you to, yeah. to kind can, of give it. Can I add a couple of things? Go for it. 
So um, I am going to be doing an interview. I've done an interview with Bernard Cornwall, which will be coming up uh, in the next week or so. Um, and also one of the interesting reasons why I've chosen Sharp, as well as being one of the book, first books I read, was because actually we're publishing one of Sh um, Sharp's books, Sharp Skirmish <laughs> by Bernard Cornwall, for our Dyslexic Friendly Books project, which is so exciting. Um, so yes, please do um, come to our website, www.booksonthehill.co.uk, which will have on our banner, um, a, a, a click that and you can go straight to the Kickstarter to um, sign up and also to uh, donate to it. And that's also going to be in the show notes. So yeah, thank you so much for, for coming. It's, it's been lovely. Um, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 21 of Fantasy Book Swap. You can find us on Twitter at Fantasy Swap, on Facebook at Fantasy Book Swap, or email fantasybookswap at gmail.com. You can subscribe at most of your favourite podcast places or download from Podbean. Please do rate and review if you can. It helps to satisfy my vanity. Thanks to Steve Baker Trails for production assistance and Jack Sadler-Johnson for the use of his beautiful track, Bliss. Until next time, bye!